And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Just what, I wasn't watching, I was listening on the radio to a documentary. And it was about mental health among sports personalities, particularly footballers in the Premier League. And there was an ex-footballer come off with a statement and thought it was really good what he said, because he said, mental health is an, in, uh, is an illness. It's not a character flaw. And it's so true. People think that if they have some kind of mental illness, that that is some sort of character flaw or some sort of weakness. But you know, it's not. It is a genuine illness. And I would recommend if you can go on to BBC uh, iPod or iPlayer or something. It's a really good uh, documentary that. So take up where we left off. I'm going to talk firstly about sanity. Now we looked at facing our denials and admitting that we and ourselves are powerless to control our tendency at times to do the wrong thing and that our lives sometimes become unmanageable. And if you remember, we used Paul's famous statement from Romans 7 about doing what he shouldn't do and not doing what he should do. Now, what do we look at then? I mean, where do we really get help? How do we go there? How do we get control of our situation? Well, we did acknowledge that a greater power or a higher power than ourselves can restore unto us, as it were, a sense of sanity. And as a result of our admitting, and this is the big thing, taking responsibility and admitting your powerlessness, that we can move from chaos to hope. And that is a really big step you'll find with people actually admitting, I have a problem, uh, I have an issue. We talked about that. We talked about how our hope comes from this greater, higher power, and that indeed is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he can and he will restore us if we trust in him. He can provide that power in your life where you are powerless over your addictions, over your compulsive behaviors. He can restore, he can change, he can bring meaning to your life, and he alone can restore unto you a, a, a sanity. Well, firstly, we'll look at what is insanity. And I haven't turned it on to us every week. There we go. There we go. Insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result each time. So, what, well, Pete has his mic there, so I may as well give you your first, uh, ask your first question. What do you think doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result each time, what does it mean to you, do you think? Don't be shy now, folks. It's too early to ask questions. <laughs> Not to worry. Okay. Well, doing the same thing over and over again, it's repetitive behavior. It's behavior, uh, you know, compulsions, things that, uh, for example, alcohols, someone who's an alcoholic continuing to drink, even though they, they know it's going to have the same outcome and stuff like that. Uh, but it, it also relates to other things, uh, you know, d doing the same things over and over again within a relationship. And if something you're doing is annoying or destroying that relationship, and yet you're not helping by doing it over and over again and thinking that whatever this issue your, your spouse has is going to change. So it's doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Sanity has been defined as a wholeness of mind 
making decisions based on truth. And that's the definition I got from the, the psychology dictionary. But also, you know, when you add to that wholeness of mind, making decisions based on truth, I would add to that making decisions based on reality. And what is reality? Reality is looking at the situation, understanding that as we looked at insanity, that's what I'm doing here isn't working and we need to do it a different way. And so that I would add to that. But as I said, Jesus is the only power that offers to us the truth, which if we seek his face will show us the reality and give us the power and the way and give us a life which he has changed. But you know, we can tell people that, but when you say to someone, you know, you put someone particularly who does have a mental health problem or does have some sort of an addiction, you know, you need to give your life to Jesus. But I would suggest that their next question will be why. You know, I've tried this, I've tried that. But, you know, if they have tried, well, they say they have tried that, but they haven't really tried it because you have to give everything over to Jesus. And we need to help people with this. You know, every thought, every action has to be given over to Jesus. Why would they do that? Well, firstly, I believe that if we do that, we receive strength. When we accept Jesus as our higher power, we receive a strength which is not natural to us. But that strength gives us the ability to face our fears that in the past have caused us to fight, flee, or freeze. It gives you the courage to know that he is watching over you. And this situation was defeated you so many times in the past, you're going to face it. Why? Because the psalmist said, God is our refuge and strength and a very present help in trouble. Again, you go down to Psalm 73, it says, My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And there we see the psalmist. And again, you know, I love the psalms. I love reading the psalms. And I love trying to understand where David was. And, you know, if you have a commentary or something, it's always good to, to look at the background of the psalm and then read the psalm again. And here we see an acknowledgement, uh, you know, an accepting that he's failing on his own. His own strength, as he refers to his flesh, uh, his heart, his mind, it failed. He's getting nowhere. But what does he say? God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. You see, like David, a lot of us rely on our own power. I said to you before, I wish I had a pound for every time someone t told me, oh, I can deal with this myself. But when we rely on our own power, our own strength, it just get, takes us back to where we were in the first place. Because we're all in a, 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 a situation in our lives where we thought, I don't need God's help. I don't need God's strength. I don't need God's power. I can do this on my own. It's almost like we were disconnected from our true power source. And our true power source is God. What I would suggest is for everyone to choose to allow your life finally to run on God's power. You know, we all need to, as I've said many times in this, examine ourselves. And when we look at things that haven't turned out right for us, we have to look honestly. You know, it's okay someone can come along and put their arm around you, and you know, it's nice, try again. But what we actually need to do is turn it over to God. Turn it over to Him completely and let Him uh, show us our way through. Don't rely on your own limited power. Don't rely on your own weaknesses. Don't rely on your own helplessness or your sense of inferiority because God comes in where our helplessness begins and he will do it for you. So we find strength 
in the Lord when we give everything over to him. We find acceptance. You know, many people with issues in their lives, they feel unaccepted. Because not in the sense that people are willingly uh, making them feel unaccepted, but in their mind, in their subconscious, they know what they're going through. They know what they are doing. They know it is wrong. And when they meet other people, their subconscious kinds of things, you know, if you really knew me, you wouldn't like me. If you really knew me, you would wonder what on earth you're doing here in church, let alone calling yourself. You get all these negative thoughts. But whenever you turn over to God, you get that acceptance that I am human. I am weak. I have made a mistake. And that's fine. In fact, that's better than someone as we've looked at, it's in denial. In Romans 15, verse 7, it says, Wherefore, receive you one another, as Christ also received us to the glory of God. What that means is, okay, yes, accepting one another in the same way that Christ has accepted you. But even more so, it's accepting yourself. It's accepting yourself. That, yes, I've made a mistake. Yes, I'm wrong. Yes, I need to go a different direction. As I told you before, with my PTSD, and then I went into mild depression, I felt so bad. Why am I like this? Why am I feeling like this? And there was a, 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 not an acceptance of myself. In fact, it was turning in only, I dealt with it, but it could have turned into a hatred of myself for, for putting Jean through what I was putting her through and putting my daughters through. You know, so these negative thoughts in your head, thinking nobody wants me. Well, I didn't think this, but nobody wants me. I'm going to leave. That unacceptance feeling. But when you put your trust in Christ, he opens your eyes, and you see, as we'll see in a moment, his acceptance. But why do you think acceptance is important to everyone? Pete the mic, just stick your hand up. <laughs> Amen. Okay, why is acceptance important to everyone? It's important for a sense of wholeness. It's important in your life. You know, I can't remember his name. Who was it said, no man is an island? We all need to be part of society. We all need to be part of friends, to be part of a family. And therefore, it's important to us, this acceptance, this, this welcoming in, this feeling comfortable with people that are friends. You know, you can be in a crowd and just not feel that acceptance from everyone. We used to, I was a corner boy. We had a student, well, you wouldn't know, it's a square in the Braniel. It was on the corner. It was about 30 of us. There was some of them there. I'd love to have knocked their milk down. I really didn't like them. But my friends were there. So there wasn't that total acceptance. But there was, in a sense, you know, the majority of them were all good lads. But so there's a need for that acceptance amongst us. And to get that acceptance... Uh, uh, for ourselves is important, but it helps us to accept others because we have to love, accept, and forgive as we are loved, accepted, and forgiven by the Lord Jesus Christ. So before we accept others, accept yourself and then have this realistic expectation of yourself. And this is why I feel, excuse me, it's important that there's acceptance because once you realize who you are, and who you are in God. And once you accept who you are in God, all your flaws, your faults, any, what you see or what others see as failures, that's just who you are. You're not finite. You're not perfect. That won't happen to the Lord comes back. 
But whenever you do that, then you begin to be able to accept others and you feel a lot better. You find what you've been looking for. And remember, there's a lovely prayer that you should pray. And I said, Lord, give us the courage to change the things we can and to accept the things we cannot change. That's some, that prayer is for someone who's accepted who they are, accepted where they are, put their trust in the Lord, accepts others, and then turns to God, asking to give the courage to change the things. It needs courage sometimes to change things in your life because to change things, sometimes we feel like we're letting people know we're a failure. But I would say you're letting people know you're strong. If you're strong enough and willing enough to change, then that shows your character is definitely stronger than you thought it was. As our faith grows, we get to know God's power in our lives. It becomes easier for us, again, to accept others as they really are and not as we would want them to be. So with acceptance comes responsibility. We stop placing all the blame on others for our past actions and our past hurts. And this is all about accepting who you are. And that's the importance of acceptance. You receive a new life in Jesus. You know, in the pit of our hurts, our habits, we, we, some, some of us maybe are at our very bottom. We know the feelings expressed in uh, 2 Corinthians 1. It says, For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we were despaired even of life. Remember, we're talking about characters in the Bible who were suicidal. Well, that you could put that down uh, as they were despaired even of life. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, which raises the dead. Now, more modern translation, not a big fan of modern translations, but I like this translation here. We were really crushed and overwhelmed and feared we would never live through it. We felt we were doomed to die and saw how powerless we were to help ourselves. That's the important phrase for me in that verse. How powerless we were to help ourselves. But that was good. That Peter talked this morning about being blessed. There's something there. They were blessed. That was good. For then we put everything into the hands of God. There's a realization, folks, that they had to put it into the hands of God. There was nothing they could do. Read uh, 2 Corinthians 1 on you, and you'll get the background of that there. But there was nothing they could do. They, They were doomed to die. They were powerless to help themselves. But that turned things around. Instead of fleeing, instead of fleeing, instead of running away, what they did was they realized, you know what, this is good. This is showing us to trust in the Lord. Don't worry about it, brother. Amen. Praise the Lord. Tell him I said hi. (laughs) We will receive new life. You know, sometimes when when we put things into the hands of God, like I said to you before, people, when you're working with people, uh, professionally especially, they they seem to think, and you have to show them you don't, that you have this magic wand that they're going to spend some time with you and you're just going to wave this wand and everything's going to be great. But you know something? The Word of God teaches. Sometimes we have to go through the fire. So let's see if somebody will talk to me now. Why do you think it's important for us as Christians to go through the fire? Anyone? No hands. Are oh, never got Hallelujah. There's two. Hold on. There's a mic at the back. I think when we go through the fire, it makes us stronger and lets us see how God can bring us through. 
Yep. Amen. Uh, Billy, there. I was actually before Sarah Davies said that. Well, sure. <laughs> say it again because some people didn't hear. Just to be made stronger, just to go through things to try and make you stronger. Yeah. Well, we all know what that means in the Bible. It, it burns off the dross, but we do sometimes need to go through the fire because I think God needs to let us see that we can do it. You know, it's like our children. There's things we have to let our children do for themselves to let them see that they can do it. But the wonderful thing about going through the fire, we can tell people, is we're not in there on our own. You know, we can testify of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They went through the fire, but God was with them. And sometimes God puts us through the fire to burn off that dross, to come out the other end stronger. And, and you know, uh, there, there's fires I went through in my life, and if I hadn't went through them, I wouldn't have had as much faith as I do now, or I wouldn't have had as much strength as I do now, or I wouldn't have had as much trust. But you know what? God is fixing this. You know, this, this verse uh, from 2 Corinthians 1 goes on to say, God alone can save us, and we expect him to do it again and again. God can save us. You know, God did save us. He paid the penalty for our sins. He paid it in full by Jesus, we know, on the cross. And he gave us the hope of new life, freedom from bondage. Freedom from bondage. We kind of read that and take that statement as if, you know, the minute you become a Christian, everything's fine. You're never going to have any troubles. You're never going to have any fears. But, you know, that's not what Jesus said. He said that he would make us strong. It would be through them with us. He said he would make us a new man. In 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, it says, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. All things become new. Many have preached in this, and they talk about your attitude to sin. This is what this is talking about. But it's your whole character. Peter was talking this morning about characters. When you fully put your life in God's hands, you are new. You're a new character. You deal with things differently. You, you, you react to things differently. The, thing, the way you used to deal with the situation, you don't deal with it that way now. You, you take more time and you look at it. And that's what it means. Certainly it does mean as a Christian, you, you look at sin in a completely different way and sinful nature that you had, you know, you, you challenge it and things. But it's about the whole character of an individual that God makes us new. We become a brand new person inside not the same anymore, because a new life has begun in us. A new life has begun in us. You know, when people used to annoy me, I used to give them the Belfast kiss, you know, but that solved nothing. And as I matured in Christ, I knew that that's not the way to deal with things, violence. The way to deal with things is to deal with them as Christ deals with them, to reach out in love, to reach out in compassion. And what this does, whenever you trust God, this gives you integrity. We get integrity when we begin to follow through on our goals and on the way that God wants us to live. Others can start to see a change in our lives as we start to trust the Lord and we start to do and say, or to do what we said we were going to do. You know, the Apostle John put a very high value on integrity. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth and I read a commentary on that, and it says, Remember, a half-truth is a whole lie, and a lie is a result of weakness and fear. Truth fears nothing, nothing but concealment. The truth often hurts, but it's a lie that leaves the scars. 
So as I say, we, we, we are blessed as we get integrity, as Jesus gets more and more control over our lives. <clears throat> a man and woman, a man or woman of integrity and courage is not afraid to tell the truth. That courage, as we've said, comes from a higher power than ourselves, and that's Jesus, who is the, the truth, the life, and the way. When we put our lives in the Lord Jesus Christ and continue to trust Him, even through maybe hard times or fires that will come along, we, experience, we, learn to, uh, we learn from experience to trust the Lord. The psalmist said, The fear of man bringeth a snare, but whosoever trusts in the Lord shall be saved. And as we let go and let God take control and admit that our lives without the Lord were un- was unmanageable, we are powerless to do anything about it, we certainly learn more to trust the Lord. But we also learn to trust ourselves and others. And this is back to acceptation of who we really are. We begin to make real friends in Christ, those of a similar mind, and we begin to understand other people as they see us as someone whose life is in the Lord's hand. And probably the most famous verse, you're probably thinking of it when I was speaking about that was the psalmist David. He said, I was young, now I am old, and I've never seen the righteous forsaken. So he looked back in life, he's seen where he got his faith from. He got his faith, he got his trust in the Lord when he killed the lion and the bear. He got his trust in the Lord when he killed Goliath. He got his trust in the Lord when the Lord kept him from Saul murdering him. He got his trust in the Lord when his son Absalom, the Lord broke his heart, it, it turned on him. He learned that trust through experience. And you know something? We need to take experience. And maybe the experience hasn't been good. But you know something? When you look back on it, you see God has brought you through it. And God has given you a testimony. You know, people have been through things, maybe a real bad illness. And you think, why me? You know, why did I have to go through that? You've come through it. And you now have a testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ and how he brought you through it. You learn from experience to trust the Lord. And you do receive that higher power. <clears throat> you know, we kind of think that we, we, we have to, you know, be, uh, attain something. I told you uh, many, a good while ago about this guy we met out in the door-to-door team one night. If you remember, here we brought him back. And he was talking about salvation. And he's told us that you're here and Jesus is over there. So when you're first saved, you're here. And according to him, uh, as you get a better person, you get closer, closer, and, clo- and then you eventually you're a really good person and you're near to Christ. And obviously, we had the benefit of uh, Elder David Hobson and Elder Hugh Sloan to uh, put him right, <laughs> but very politely. But you know something? A lot of people think that, especially if they've failed the Lord. If, if they've done something, and like Paul, it has really gutted them. Because they'll say to himself, I shouldn't have done that. I know I shouldn't have done it. I did it. I know I shouldn't have said it. I said it. You know, have we all been there? But you know, here's the wonderful thing. Jesus loves you just the way you are. Amen. Isn't that a wonderful thing to know? People will love you. People will respect you. People will be your friend. But they have limits. They have boundaries. And if you cross them boundaries, tough luck. They're not your friend. But Jesus loves you just the way you are. We know it, Romans 5 and 8. 
God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is an important verse for the unsaved, especially we're helping them and they're, they're going through a, a bad time in their life and they feel unworthy, they've made a mess in their life. We've got to say to them, do you know something? Jesus loves you just the way you are. You don't have to uh, attain a certain uh, amount of goodness in your life. Jesus loves you just the way you are. Speaking at a funeral recently, and I was talking about this, and I was saying that in my studies when I was, uh, I think I was doing my master's, I did that, uh, different religions in the world, you have to attain something. If you want your God to love you, you have to do something miraculous, you have to give something, you, you have to make some huge sacrifice. And, and I was talking about this at the funeral, and I said, and you know something, Jesus loves you just where you are just how you are, just as you come to him. You know, you don't have to do this. You don't have, well, you do have to put your trust in him, but there's nothing that you can do can, can earn your way into the presence of God. He loves you just the way you are. And I think this, they, those are the most beautiful words we can say to any man or woman, especially if they're feeling down, feeling rejected, maybe have been rejected. We need to let them know Jesus loves you even while you were a sinner. He died for you. When you realize this, that he loved you and gave himself for you, you realize <clears throat> that even when you didn't want to know him, he loved you and wanted to give you life and life more abundant. So no matter what comes your way, if you put your trust in the Lord, he will see you through. Why? Because he loves you. He doesn't love you less. He can't love you more because his love is infinite. And that's one thing I heard a guy preaching on. It's one thing God can't do. He can't love you more than he does love you now. And think about what he said. It's true. It's the greatest love that man has ever experienced. <clears throat> and he keeps us. There's no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. He will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will, with the temptation, also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. You know something, if you're ever tempted and tempted to go back into your old ways, then think of that verse and know that he will give you a way of escape. And, say, and I've said this to people, when you're feeling like I say to yourself, God in this situation has given me a way to escape. And see, when you start doing that, then you're starting to challenge these thoughts which are trying to drag you back down like the lobsters drag each other back down into the pot that's boiling. <clears throat> God will give you a way of escape. It says he will not let you be tempted above what you can bear. And again, this is a, sort of, for me, this is in line with going through the fire. <clears throat> well, if he doesn't, I mean, if he doesn't want you to, to, to be uh, go through something unbearable. Why does he put you through the fire? Because he goes through the fire with you. And that's the way of escape. And so I would say to people, you know, that, that if an old habit is coming back, and this old habit, I know if I let it win, it's going to destroy my life. What can I do? Then say to yourself, God has given me a door of escape here. Say that to people. God has given you a door of escape. And that starts you challenging what's going on in your head and helps you to start looking for a way of escape. Sometimes you might have to do what Joseph did and run for it. There's nothing wrong with that because that was the best way to deal with that situation for Joseph. So consciously, 
Trust the Lord. He's faithful. He won't allow you to be tempted above what you uh, are able to bear. And he will provide this door. It says in Psalm 68, <clears throat> Blessed be the Lord who daily loadeth us with benefits, even the God of our salvation. When you accept Jesus Christ as your higher power and Savior, you're guaranteed eternal life, yes. <clears throat> and you're guaranteed that he, you'll have his protection in the times of trials. And this is one of my favorite verses. I love this verse. I quote it often. Nahum 1 verse 7. The Lord is good. He is a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knoweth them that trust in him. And I've preached on that many times, and I split it up into three. God's goodness, his presence uh, in the day of trouble, and that last phrase, what we're dealing with tonight, he knoweth them that trust in him. For me, what that means is God knows the, my level of trust, my level of faith. And this is where he helps you, and this is where he doesn't let you go beyond what you can't bear. He knows your trust in him. He knows them that trust in him and he will see you through. So the advice is to consciously choose to commit your life and your will to God's care and to God's control. Excuse me. Amen. And this means that we have to turn, <clears throat> have to make a decision of commitment to genuinely turn your life over to the Lord into the care of Almighty God. You know, we say, well, I'm a Christian and I give my life to the Lord. You want to know something? You need to make the decision that I am making myself totally committed to the Lord. God doesn't want half a commitment. He wants a total commitment. You know, there's people will tell you they're Christians. They'll tell you they walk with the Lord. I remember when I was made an elder, it was back in, in 1995, and I'd been coming to the church since November 1981. And when I was made an elder, that night I was up on the platform, and I'll never forget that night. I was really nervous. It was the morning, actually. And Brother Sloan and Brother Hobson were standing back at church, and I says, I'm really shy about walking up and sitting on the platform. And they said, come on up and sit between us. It's the worst thing I've ever done. I got the head punched off me the whole thing. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Davy Hobson looked at me and said, stop moving your head. Yeah. <laughs> but you know something? What I'm going to tell you about, after the service, this man came to me. And he said, I've been in this church, and he said, so many years. He says, I've never even made me a deacon. And I looked at him, and I thought, I'm coming here four years, and I've never seen you. Who are you? <laughs> That's not commitment. I mean, he might have been on our books, but honestly, I can honestly say, you I mean, when you come to a church, you don't know everyone, but I was there four years, so I knew a great deal of people. I'd never seen him before. And yet, according to him, he was a member of the church. We have to make a genuine commitment to turn our lives over to God. That means that his day is his day. We don't decide, you know what, I'm too tired, I'm staying at home tonight, or there's something on the TV, forget it tonight. I don't want to <clears throat> do this. I don't commit your life to the Lord and to the care of the Almighty. Because this is what Paul said. I beseech you. That word beseech, it's like I beg you. I plead with you. It's actually, I'm told it's used in something like a court where, where, where they're pleading with someone. It's like a plead for a kind of forgiveness as such where it's used in courts. But anyhow, there it's a plead 
from God's servant. By the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Choose to do this. Consciously choose to commit your life to the Lord Jesus Christ and into his care and into his control. How do we do that? We turn our life over to him. And it's as simple as that. Turn your life over to Jesus. When you turn your life over to Jesus, you're showing him, as we've said, your trust. You know, we are putting our total trust in him. And I was just thinking about this. Trust is something that we all need to have today. And you know something? Every day in life, you put your trust in others. Now, somebody answer me this time. Who do you think we trust every day in life? I'll give you a wee hint. What about a pilot when you get on a plane? You've never met him before in your life, but you're putting your life in his hands. And if it's a girl, I wouldn't get on the plane, so I'm not saying it. <laughs> you think I'm joking? Ask Jane, I did. I refused to get on a plane because I was a female pilot. Sorry, ladies. <laughs> but I've seen you driving cars. <laughs> joking, I'm joking, I'm joking. Someone, who else do you trust? You can shout out this one. We don't need the mic. Who do you think we trust in life? Doctors, Doctors yep. Police, Police yes. <laughs> well, I've listed a few since you're all shy. Doctors, nurses, teachers, politicians, those who cook in a restaurant and serve us. There's an awful lot of trust there, isn't it? Banks, we trust banks. Uh, here's one here that you probably never thought of. We trust other car users on the road. That when you come to a roundabout and it's clear, you trust other road users that they're obeying the, the traffic laws and you drive on out. When you get through a junction and it's a green light, you're trusting those on the other side that they're going to sit and wait at the red light. When you go down a motorway, you're sitting from 70 to 100 mile an hour. You're trusting people that either overtake you or you trust them that you'll overtake them and they won't pull out. I remember one of my driving courses, I was sitting in a 2.9 Granada at 130 mile an hour, and this boy pulled out in front of us, and it was God stopped the car, not me. <laughs> How on earth we got stopped, I don't know. And totally oblivious that we were even coming with our blue lights and the, the horn blazing like mad. We trust other people that way. Trust our spouses, it's obvious. Trust our pastors, our elders. We trust builders, electricians, plumbers, heating engineers. We trust uh, people today, trust, what are they called, Uber, Deliveroo, and Just Eat. You don't know what they've done to your food, especially if they know, they know you don't give a tip. I was told they actually, I was actually told, watch it, because they tell each other he doesn't tip, so you never know what's in your food when you get it. Amazon deliveries. I know a friend of mine was joking, and he said, uh, Amazon driver came to his door, and he answered the door, and the Amazon driver said, is your wife okay? He says, certainly. Why? He says, she hasn't ordered anything this week. So, <laughs> media, social media. Every day, folks, think about it. People, you put your trust in. Every day, to live, we have to put our trust in someone. You know, we don't trust no one. You know, we'll become agoraphobic and just lock the door. We do this. And here's a question. Why, then, is it so hard for us to trust our lives to the care of God? Now, you can say there, oh, I do, I do. Do you? Really? Have you never questioned God? Have you never doubted where you are in God? His eye is always upon you. You, you sing it. You quote it. 
But you know something? I would rather walk with God in the valley of the shadow of death than walk alone or with a stranger in the darkness of this world. We trust God. That is our choice. And that is a choice that we have to help people make who are struggling with different things in their lives. <clears throat> it's their choice. It's not their chance that determines their destiny. That decision requires us to trust God, to put our faith into action, to have this faith. You know, as I've said several times here, uh, faith is only as strong as the object of that faith. And the object of our faith is the Lord Jesus Christ. So our faith should be strong. And God's word tells us, and we'll finish with this for, for now, Romans 10 and 9, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You know, some people think that's too simple. And they try to complicate it. They make salvation more complicated. Wasn't it Gordon McGee said the gospel is wonderful if people would only leave it alone? And that's what we need to do. Our salvation is complicated when we put our trust in God, when we help others put their trust in God. We need to encourage them to know that God is going to see them through, that his power, if they let him, will help them change their lives. His power, if they let him, will bring joy, will bring peace, and will bring contentment. That's why Paul was able to say, notwithstanding, I have learned that whatsoever state I am, therewith to what? To be content. In prison, in chains, starving, and Paul was content. Why? Because he had given everything over to the Lord. Amen. We'll just end there. We'll pick it up again in two weeks. And. Uh...